Hey guys, and welcome to season three of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, I get to make my guests laugh, cry, and even make them think about life a little differently with the questions I fire over to them, which digs into their lives and professions a little differently. We even had a chance to change up the intro, giving you a fresh new sound. I look forward to sharing season three of the Us People podcast with you. Let's go. Hi, this is Leonard Lowy, music industry lawyer. You're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. And she does. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Ask People podcast. I'm your host, Samuel Rocks, and today on the Ask People podcast, I have Leonard here with you. Leonard is a specialist music lawyer. See, I got it right this time. <laughs> Leonard, thank you so much for coming on the Ask People podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, how are you? Oh, thank you so much for asking. You know, that's a really, mm. that's a rare question that I get asked. I'm okay. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for asking me. Glad to hear it. (laughs) Leonard, my first question for you is, could you tell me about yourself and your background, but also where you grew up and how that influenced you to be the person who you are today? Okay, well, you'd never guess it from my accent, but I was actually born in Glasgow. Uh, Yeah, I left when I was about four and a half years old, so I guess... The accent never stuck. My parents were originally from Hungary and they were survivors of persecution during the war. And they left continental Europe after a couple of years after the war and went and settled in Scotland uh, where I was born. So, um, yeah, nobody would guess. People don't believe you know, don't believe me when I tell them. They asked to see my birth certificate and all kinds of stuff. Um, but the strange thing is that, for example, when England plays Scotland at football, I support Scotland. So I do feel, I do feel very Scottish. Although I only spent four and a half years of my life there. Um, so yes, yeah, so I grew up really basically in London, and uh, in that respect, I'm uh, you know effectively a Londoner. I love that. I totally love that. So can you define who you are as a person and who you see when you look in the mirror? But on the flip side of that question, has there ever been a time in your life, Leonard, where you haven't recognized the person in the mirror? How did you come back to be the person who you are today and do what you love to do? Okay. I mean, the only time I've never recognized the person in the mirror is probably when I've had too much to drink. (laughs) Like but uh, otherwise, otherwise, um, no. I mean, otherwise, yeah, yeah. I know who I am. I don't have any great illusions about who or what I am. I'm a, yeah. like to think I'm a fairly honest and straightforward type of guy. Uh, married with kids and grandkids as well now. Um, I don't consider myself to be anything special or out of the ordinary. I get on with my life and uh, try and help people professionally as I go along. And that's kind of really the rewarding part of the job. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. I like it. That's good enough for me. 
Please let me know and let everyone listening know. How did your journey begin in music? Because you just didn't go into music law. You have a huge background in music itself. So how did your journey begin for you to be your best at what you do now? Well, back in the Stone Age when um the Stone Age. I was yeah, when I was in school and people were talking about careers and what do you want to do with your life and whatever. Um I didn't really know and like a lot of teenagers I had this crazy idea of um you know being a successful musician you know, a lot of failed musicians end up being music lawyers actually uh, it's quite an interesting statistic um but I had this I you know I had these ideas I, I wrote a lot of songs I thought I was quite good actually and a lot of other people did as well which probably gave me unrealistic expectations of what I might achieve so you know i put a band together and we played some gigs and uh, i sent off some demo tapes and predictably nobody was sufficiently um encouraged to say hey this is great so uh my parents were kind of i think secretly very relieved and uh i kind of went back to the real world um so how did i get into music law well, how did I get into law, first of all, is, is the question. And I'd love to be able to say that, you know, I've always had this burning determination to stand up for the little guy and see justice prevail and stand up for, you know, everybody's rights or whatever. The reality is a bit more prosaic than that. Um, it was really more a case of a process of elimination because when it was time to start thinking about what I was going to do in my life when I realized I wasn't going to be, you know, a famous musician or any musician. Um, I uh, realized that I was far too squeamish to do anything of a medical nature, you know, faint, faint at the first sight of blood. So that ruled out anything in the medical field. And then probably my worst subject in school was maths. Uh, never great with numbers, so that probably ruled out accountancy. Uh, I always thought I was pretty clumsy and cack-handed, so that ruled out engineering or anything <laughs> of a kind of manual nature. It's getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody said, what about the law? And I said, hey, I couldn't, kind of couldn't think of any immediately disqualifying factors there. So I said, yeah, law, yeah, maybe, maybe. So... Um, that's really, it sounds terrible to say, but it was kind of got into it for probably all the wrong reasons. Um, how did I get into music law? Well, that was purely by accident because at the time, although there were music lawyers, it was still a pretty small and limited field and very, very few law firms did it. I think part of the reason for that is because artists never really had much of a bargaining power. They were presented with a contract and told yeah. if you want to if you want a career, sign here. And very often they, you know, sign their lives away plus their grandmothers and everything else. Uh, but as time went by, that kind of that balance swung back the other way. So music lawyers be began to assert themselves but at this particular point there there were relatively not like today where there are loads of them there were relatively few firms and just by sheer chance i happened to do my training at one of those firms uh -huh. and i found 
you know, and generally when you when you train as a lawyer, you spend, you know, a few months in this department, a few months in that department, and you just to get a kind of get a feel of everything. And I found that the time I spent in, in the music department was um, way more interesting than anything else I was being subjected to. So um, I also discovered that I was actually better at that than in the other areas that they put me in, whether it's because I was more interested in it or whether, you know, or whatever the reason was. But um, I kind of found my niche that way. And um, so once I qualified, I said, yeah, well, if I'm going to be in the law, this is what I'm going to do. So that's kind of what I've done and pretty much all I've done ever since. I mean, I wouldn't, if my life depended on it, I wouldn't know how to buy or sell a house or handle a divorce or I just wouldn't have a clue where to start. But in terms of um, music law, I mean, I kind of, you know, I've always said to people, if I had to defend somebody who was accused of a criminal offence, if I had to defend them in court, they'd certainly end up in jail. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of all I know. Aww. It's it's all I've done for, you know, many, many years. So I'm quite happy with that. Uh, and that, so really it's kind of the way the way i got into it is totally unromantic but that's actually what happened it doesn't have to be romantic you know Leonard. i no, think it's one of true. those destinies uh, we all think yeah. that we accidentally i know you said you accidentally kind of fell into it but sometimes yeah. we and i always say this to people sometimes we go on a journey in life and we think we're meant to be doing one thing where it's funny how life pushes you back into a certain path and says no you actually are capable of doing this but you don't realize it because you're so focused on trying to do something else and your mindset yeah. is over there where life just gives you a shove and says look i'm pushing you here because this is what you're capable of doing so i think it's one of those situations Leonard, where even though you've done so much in your life which is a beautiful thing to be able to do you somehow on your journey you've managed to come back and say you know what, you love music and law is just part of it now. And you do help people. I know that for me doing so much research on you, you do a lot of things that help people, and which is one of the things that I'm going to get into now. Um, yeah. One of the things that I would love to ask you is, what is a day like in your life, especially when it comes to clientele or, and being in within the music business? Because there are so many different areas. I'm going to try and break them down one by one. But what is a day like in your actual life from the time you wake up in the morning to when you're helping people creatively? Um, well, firstly, I'm not helping people creatively all that much. I mean, uh, you know, they don't they don't need my creative assistance um i'm happy enough if they want my legal assistance yeah. uh so i tend not to although i did spend um i did spend a number of years running a, a successful artist management company with a client of mine so i guess that had a bit of a creative uh, uh involvement but no but i mean generally uh i'm not I, I tend not to get involved in in creative aspects of it i think there are people with better qualifications and experience to do that but most of most of what i do is related to contracts so it's either drawing up contracts or advising people on contracts that other people have presented them with and uh pointing out the things that are not good or can be improved or you know should be changed and it's then negotiating those contracts with 
the other party. Sometimes it's um, advising people who've got into a contract and realised that for whatever reason the relationship hasn't worked out and they'd much rather not be in that relationship anymore. Sometimes it's easy to get out because sometimes the other party's feeling exactly the same. Sometimes that's not the case and the other party are determined to to keep hold of the client and then, you know, so then that needs different kind of approach. Sometimes it gets completely hostile and then, um, you know, the gloves come off and then that's a completely different um, state of affairs again. Um, but generally speaking, mostly it is contract-based. And so most days involve me a, a lot of the day looking at writing, changing, altering contracts crossing out a lot of stuff that other people have written and thinking that's rubbish i can do better than that yeah. uh so a lot of it is actually you know people think oh music lawyer sounds terribly glamorous a lot of it is actually uh not all that glamorous it's sitting at a desk poring over you know a contract that can be 30 40 50 60 pages long yeah. and trying to um you know put it right to make it more coherent get rid of inconsistencies improve it for the client um so some of it is, some of it can be quite a drudge um it's become harder during the pandemic because obviously for the last two years there's been hardly any face-to-face contact and i used yeah. to like that a lot and um it's beginning to change i've had a couple of uh you know, face-to-face meetings with real people in a, in a real room recently, which is nice. But for the last couple of years, it's either been on Zoom or one of these other technology platforms, and uh, it's pretty good, you know. I mean, two years ago, I'd never heard of Zoom. If you'd have said Zoom, I, if somebody would have said, what's Zoom? I would have said, well, that's the song by Lionel Richie and the Commodores. Uh, that's all I knew about Zoom. But now kind of, you know, not a not a day goes by without me, you know, having one or two or three or sessions on Zoom and it's become second nature and um, it's filled the gap, you know, pretty well. That's true. But it's not the same. It's not the same as being face-to-face with people and uh, hopefully that's coming back gradually, although some people are still very reticent. Yeah, I know some people are like... I spent a lot, as soon as 2020 came and I was interviewing people by February, I think it was, or, or March or 2020, it stopped completely. Yeah. Um, but now it's slowly getting back. And it is, like you say, it is nice to connect with people again face to face and just have that presence with you, which is really, really yeah. nice. One thing I would love to ask is, say, for example, especially with contracts, say you are a songwriter or a producer or whatever it might be when is the right time to decide to get a music lawyer involved in what you do uh that's a very good question uh and in fact that's a question that clients and potential clients actually often ask themselves i get people ringing up saying you know this is what this is where i'm at at the moment is this is this the time i should be talking to someone like you which I normally say, no, not someone like me, me. Um, But seriously, um, seriously, it's a difficult question and it varies. It varies person by person because um, if you're generally, if you're an artist, I would say the time is 
when things are beginning to happen, when people are beginning to notice you, when you're starting to get some traction on social media, you're getting some hits um, on your social media platforms, on your website, if you've got one, or when, you know, when people are beginning to notice you. Uh, it, it used to be, you know, it used to be that not not a week went by without people getting in touch saying, I'm, you know, I'm an aspiring artist. Can you please send my material to record labels and publishers and get me a deal, please? Um, if that ever worked, and I'm not sure that it ever really did, it certainly doesn't now because in the in the internet age it's all about making your own splash making your own noise getting noticed and then waiting for people to you know to pick you up and uh when i was young you know a and r artist and repertoire was all about record labels sending scouts out to gigs seven nights a week and looking at uh I'm sure that still goes on, but I I do know that a lot of what now passes for A&R consists of these people who would normally be going out to gigs every night, sitting in front of their computers and trawling through YouTube and SoundCloud and looking for stuff with millions of hits and um, and doing it that way. So, um, it, so it, it's changed. Uh, when is the right time? I'm, I'm not sure there's a, there's a, one size fits all answer to that Um, but certainly when people start taking notice and your profile goes up and your social media numbers go up I think that certainly is a time to start thinking about it and it depends as well whether you're an individual for example or or a band if you're a band one of the things I always advise people to do because people don't realize people bands um, have legal relationship between themselves, between their members, whether they know it or not. And and very often they carry on for years in blissful ignorance and they have there are legal consequences for what they do with each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, the law, re- unless the band has made some other separate arrangement, like they've set up a company or some other elaborate structure, the law recognizes a band as being a partnership and a partnership carries certain obligations and liabilities and rights with it. For example, what I always tell people, if if you're a member of a band and one of your band members unknown to unbeknown to you goes out and runs up a debt for 10 grand by ordering some equipment or whatever, you personally can be responsible for that debt, even if you didn't know anything about it, let alone, actually made the decision to um, run up the debt. So I always tell people in bands to sort of make a proper agreement between themselves very early on. And it, and really, it's never, in that case, it's never too early to do it because then you can regulate, you know, we can only spend money if, you know, at least two two people agree and you can only spend up to a certain amount of money without, everybody else agreeing and so certain safeguards to to prevent any individual member sort of going off on a flight of fancy and doing something which could land the rest of the band in trouble and it also deals with things like how you know how the profits are split and what happens to the money and who looks after it and what it can be used for and etc so in that respect going back to your previous question it's never too early um uh 
and I would say if you form a band on Monday, it's a good idea to get that kind of agreement in place on Tuesday. Uh, but for any anything else, uh, it depends on a whole lot of factors, and uh, really your gut your gut feeling will probably tell you when it's time to to get in touch. I know that we spoke about bands just now, but say, for example, there are a lot of people who are in the background of music. So say, for example, and that's why I also said songwriters and producers, for example, yeah. Leonard, um, yeah. because I know you said each one is different. And, and that's the tricky thing about contracts. They are different. And working in a music publishing company for about four years and having to read through so many of these, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with all of these contracts. But how is it, for example, I know we touched on bands. How is it for songwriters and example for producers? When would that right time be to go to you and say, I want to have a contract? Is there any particular time or is it predominantly the same? Uh, with songwriters, again, I would say it's probably the same because until such time as somebody starts taking a real interest in you, so you're writing songs. I mean, a lot of people write songs that so, a lot of them, unfortunately, never go anywhere. Exactly. Uh, so uh, and that's not necessarily because the songs aren't good enough. It's because, especially in the internet age, it, the thing has mushroomed to such an extent that it's so easy to get your material out there that you're now competing with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people yeah. around the world, all doing the same thing. So there's all this noise out there and you've got to somehow wade through it and get yourself noticed above all that background noise. So, um, so for songwriters, it's probably again, when you've got some indication that someone's taking an interest in you producers if you're producing for other people uh probably the first point is going to be when an artist or a record label says says to the producer we want you to produce a track or a couple of tracks an ep or something for our artist here's the contract so at that point you would expect the producer to ring up and say you know i'm a I'm a producer. I've just been offered a contract by XYZ Records to produce three tracks for, you know, their up and up and coming artist. Will you look at the contract for me and uh, tell me if it's good and bad and what needs to be done, et cetera, et cetera? So that that one's a bit clearer because they're it's reactive. They get they're reacting to somebody offering them something, and then they know they need they need professional assistance. That sounds good to me. It's good to actually know all of this, especially for everybody, especially if anyone is starting the music business, because yeah. which kind of coincides with my next question. Contracts can be very exciting, as we all know, having something put in front of you that can potentially change your life and having it in front of you. But they can also be very daunting um, because even though you have this 50 page contract in front of you and again it being able to change your life there are so many things that you should look um for in contracts and i just wanted to ask you are there any pointers of what artists or anybody creative should look for in a contract that might spike a question mark in there for you to look for or not to look for in a natural contract yeah i mean there are um the, the key things for example the key things i suppose are how long is this going to tie me up for because you know everybody goes into the goes into a contract thinking this is it i've cracked it you know the world is my oyster 
you know, there's no stopping me now. But in a lot of cases, those expectations aren't realised. So I always tell people that, you know, milk all that excitement as best you can because it's positive and it's good, but always have in mind the potential downside, which is that if it doesn't go well, how long are you potentially tied into this without an escape route if things don't work out? So the first question is how long are you tied up for? And is that length of time reasonable um, in the context of what you're being asked to do in the contract? So, for example, if you were offered a five-album deal, which somewhat uncommon these days for all all kinds of reasons uh not least because a lot of people certainly youngsters don't even know what an album is anymore in the new streaming age but you know if you were offered a long-term contract like that then you wouldn't really bat an eyelid to discover that you might be signed to the label for five six seven years but if the contract was only for you to record one track or one single you'd be a bit disturbed to find that you're potentially tied in for three years so it's got to be, you know, there's two sides to it. The The length of time has to make sense in the context of what you're going to be doing under that contract and how much you're going to be doing. Uh, second thing, obviously, is what are you going to be, what are you going to be paid? Yeah. Is the royal, you know, if you're going to, is the royalty you're going to receive reasonable in the light of what is customary and commonplace in the market today? Is it competitive with what other people are offering? Uh, if there's an, if you're lucky enough to be offered an advance, is that reasonable? Um, if, as is very often the case, because you're starting out, you're still going to have to combine your music career with a day job, yes. for example, because you can't afford to give up your job. So the question is, is the amount of money you're being offered enough for you to be able to say, well, actually, I'd, don't need to, to carry on with my day job because this is going to support me or is is the opposite going to be the case? Are you going to say, well, I haven't got enough money to to live on and pursue my music career and do my day job? So you've got to look at that in the context of what you need to physically survive for a period of time. That's, re- um, that's really good information there. So I'd say those, those are probably the immediate the immediate things because i think the thing the things that cause the most problems uh are artists signing deals and then discovering that the process is taking a lot longer than they expected and somehow it seems that it pretty much always does whoever you are and i think it part of the reason for that is because the whole process of promoting and building and developing an artist is actually so complicated that you've got to get it right because if you get it wrong you very it's not easy to come back and have a second go because people whether it's in the industry or in the general public remember yes that, oh yeah i've seen I've, I've seen that name before and it didn't work out so immediately there's a kind of a negative attached to it and these days you there's so much you've got to do in terms of you know social media profiles and websites and uh making sure that all, all the ducks are in a row and that everything every, everything and everybody in the team is in sync with everybody else and um so it's actually quite a sophisticated if if almost a military exercise to get 
uh, everybody pulling together. And sometimes as well, the the label always feels or often feels that the artist still hasn't come up with the best song or songs that they can. And they might say, well, yeah, this is good, but we think you've still got a, a couple of bigger hits in you. And if we're spending all this money on development and all the things that go with it and promotion and marketing and styling and and websites and social media and everything else, we want to make sure that we've got the best possible material. And I know because I, I also do work for some record labels and I, I see it from their side. And very often they say, you know, this is taking longer because we're still not quite sure we've got the best breakout song or everything not quite in place or sometimes the artist is very picky and and takes their time approving things and coming up with things so it's not always the artist's fault not always the label's fault it can be all kinds of things but whatever it is somehow it seems that more often than not the whole process just takes longer than everybody imagines going in so it is all about making sure that um the relationship is able to sustain itself over an extended period without people risking falling out with each other over the relationship because, you know, they think it's it's not going in the right direction. One thing I do want to ask you is over the years, people did used to, and I say did used to very lightly right now, need a record label. Yeah. Whereas now I find that people are seeing that publishing is way, way more important to have. Do you agree or disagree with that factor, knowing that you have worked with so many record labels? And do you find that a lot of artists know enough about the music business? Because a lot of them are just being creative, but they're not necessarily knowing about the business. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, certainly the the internet age and the the developments in technology have made it a lot easier for artists to get their music out without a record label i mean when i when i was starting out if you wanted to release a record you had to book a commercial studio at several hundred pounds a day and book a producer and an engineer and backing musicians. And that was beyond the budget of a lot of people. So if you didn't have a record label, uh, you were stymied. I mean, there's nothing you could do. Now, if you've got a desktop computer and some relatively inexpensive software, even a mobile phone, you know, you can – you can do your stuff in your own in your own bedroom or front room or garden shed or whatever. Uh, so in in one respect, it's never been easier to get your music out there. But on the other hand, it's never been more difficult because millions of other people are all doing exactly the same thing. And one of the most frustrating things I come across is people saying, you know, because uh, sometimes people come and talk to me a bit too late and they say, basically, I released, you know, I released my album last week. And I say, oh, yeah, what did you do? I said, well, it's on it's on uh, Spotify. Uh-oh. I said, oh, yeah. And uh, what else? I said, well, what else do I need? So I say, well, who other than you and your mum and your auntie and, and the next door neighbour and your mates down the road, who else knows that it's there? What do you mean? They say, well. 
how do I, you know, how would I know it's there? However good it is, how would I know it's there? What, what's going to drive me to it? What's going to direct me to it? So there is still this kind of naive thinking that all you have to do is find a, an aggregator or somebody that will stick it on Spotify and Amazon or whatever, and then that's it, it's job done. But of course it isn't. It's all about marketing and promotion and profile and engaging with people on your, you know, through Twitter and, and websites and Instagram and Facebook and whatever to make sure that they're aware of you so that they know where to go to find your brilliant track or EP or exactly. album or whatever. So in one sense, it's never been easier. And in another sense, it's never been more difficult. So I don't know. The big, the big advantage of having a record label is that um, they've got the money. Yes. So um, even if you're lucky enough to get some serious traction on your own and you know what you're doing, and you, uh, if you're if you're going to start off without a record label, you still need a team of people. You need somebody, you know, you need somebody doing getting some press for you. You need a plugger. You need somebody that can help you with videos. So you need a basic team around you, uh, and you probably need management as well, which is something we've not discussed, but another whole another whole area. But if you're lucky enough to to gain some traction that way. Um, if a record label comes in at that point, they've then got the serious money and the infrastructure to drive it up to the next level. And really that's probably, uh, they wouldn't like to be described this way, but I think that's probably their main value now uh, is in providing the, the boost in terms of finance and reach in terms of relationships and uh, contacts that they have with other areas of the entertainment world just to kind of, move the whole thing onto onto a higher level let's talk about okay publishing companies have this thing where you have solicited music and unsolicited music and I, everyone's always e emailing me and saying anytime i speak to a lawyer especially within music can you please ask them this question <laughs> yeah. so could you just leonard run the differences between um, unsolicited music and solicited music. I have a good idea of it, um, but I would love for you to be able to break it down for our listeners. Well, I'm not sure what... Just tell me what you think it is in that context, because... Um, from what, I, I don't know if I'm correct, <laughs> even being yeah. as a songwriter, and this is what I yeah. mean about having yeah. the knowledge within music. Um, yeah. I believe that solicited music so basically when i'm on a, a website and it says for example a publishing website and it says we do not accept unsolicited music it right. just okay. for me i feel like it means it don't, wouldn't um it wouldn't accept your music if it doesn't have a lawyer behind it um or if that's correct in my terms if it doesn't have i wouldn't say protection or it's just Correct me if I'm wrong, please, Leonard. Because well, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not wrong, but you're not exactly right okay. either. If that makes no, that sense. Makes sense. I mean, unsolicited means that whether it's a lawyer or not, somebody has sent the music in to the publisher mm. to ask them to evaluate it and consider it, rather than the publisher has come across it and has expressed an interest in it or. Yeah 
somebody else within their own ranks has delivered it to them. Um, it, you, I mean, you're right in the sense that I still get phone calls from people saying, I'm a songwriter, uh, I'd love to get a publishing deal, but I've been told that I can't get a deal without a, a solicitor. Mm -hmm. So if I send you my songs, will you be able to get me a deal? And my answer, answer to that is invariably no. Exactly. Because, A, because I'm not convinced that it re ever really did work. And as we touched on before, I, it's, it certainly doesn't work now in this... Um, yeah, I remember back in my Island Records days, so that's going back to kind of the mid-1980s, sort of showing my age here. Um, and I remember going in to the head of A&R uh, and always in the corner of his office, there was literally a mountain of jiffy bags. Yes. Now, this was in the pre, this was in the pre-digital age. Yeah. So anybody that wanted to send in recordings, solicited or unsolicited, were either sending in CDs or cassettes or God, God knows what else. And he literally would always have a mountain of these things piled up in the corner. There must have been hundreds in there. And he never even bothered opening them. I mean, why he even kept them there, I don't know. But they never, they never got opened. And that was even then back in the day. So I'm fairly sure that today, um, because there's so much talent out there, I, th I think people haven't got the time or the inclination. So I think the fact that it's a lawyer sending it in isn't going to make any difference. And to be perfectly cynical about it, and I've got no illusions about how a lot of people treat think of lawyers, uh, it might even be a sort of a negative if a lawyer kind of sends in a, some music for consideration because people might say, well, he's a lawyer. What does he know about music, you know? So the fact that a lawyer has sent it, what does that, what does that prove? Does it mean it's good? Does it mean that we ought to sign it? I can't see why anybody would think that. So I kind of... I still get those approaches, but I turn them down. And also because it's such a waste of time because, you know, I've got to, you know, I've got to spend time listening to it. I've got to form an opinion. I don't know whether my opinion of it is going to match anybody else's opinion of it. And then, you know, what am I going to get out of it anyway? So it's all kind of time-consuming for an uncertain result. And uh, so I just, I just say no to it. So you're kind of half right and half wrong but it in my experience it really nowadays it doesn't work and the reason that they say they don't accept unsolicited is because they don't even want to consider anything that anybody sends them the one exception to that might be if you had a particularly strong relationship yeah. with a creative person at a publishing company yeah. and you had a quiet word in their ear and you said hey I'm going to do you a favor here. I'm going to let you in on the ground floor. I've come across this amazing songwriter. The, you know, these the most fantastic thing you've heard for years. Do yourself a favor and listen to that. That's one thing. You know, if you've got a personal relationship, you can draw on. But just to just to fire these things off blind, like sort of a you know firing an automatic machine gun and firing these things out in all directions, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I, well, another thing that you touched on before was management. And I would love you to talk about management a lot more because 
a lot of people don't understand how hard management actually is. Um, would, would you be able to touch on that for us? Uh, yes. I mean, it is difficult because it's 24-7. Exactly. It's, actually, it's actually even more difficult if you're trying to combine it with running a legal practice, which is, uh, I'm not quite sure how I did it for as long as I did. I think the management com- company ran for about seven or eight, seven or eight years, possibly. Wow. Uh, I mean, there were, there were two of us, so, it, you know, the load was shared. But it was very, very difficult. And management is a kind of, it's it, as I said, it's a 24-7 thing, but it's also all-encompassing. It's everything from getting a phone call at two o'clock in the morning from an artist who's missed his connecting flight and, you know, has to be a couple of thousand miles away the next day for a gig or something. And it's it's everything to, you know, I've lost my passport or, you know. So if you're not actually trained in that sort of discipline, it can be quite difficult. Uh, the upside is that it's absolutely fascinating and it's like a, you know, it's like a fairground ride in terms of the, adre- the adrenaline because no two days are the same. Although, uh, but after a while, it just got too crazy. And without mentioning without mentioning any names, uh, one of the artists we were working with proved to be so difficult wow. that just weren't taking advice on anything. And we got them to a stage where really they had, they had, a major opportunity with a major major company offering them all kinds of all kinds of almost unheard of stuff but they were kind of the kind of people who thought they knew better than everybody else and you know the the songs that everybody thought that was their best ones they didn't think were cool enough so they refused to record them and it just got too just got too crazy and we said you know what this is uh, we can't take this anymore it's time to time to shut up shop so we let them go and then i think we decided that it was just too draining an experience but uh, i learned a hell of a lot and um in terms of now nowadays in terms of advising other managers or advising artists who are entering into management relationships uh it's put me in a really good position because i've seen it from i've seen it from the coal face if you like i've seen yeah. it from within warts and all and i see exactly what nonsense can go on and uh, i've learned a few tricks about how to deal with certain situations so it was useful as well in that in that um in that kind of situation but uh now particularly since i'm getting older i'm not i'm not sorry that i've left that part of my life behind because Aww. it was uh, it's getting a little bit it was getting a little bit too crazy if there was one question that you wished more people would ask you, regardless if it's in music or, or contracts or even in personal life, what would that question be and why? Uh, probably, can I introduce you to my multi-billionaire brother-in-law who wants to set up a record label? <laughs> Why did you say that? <laughs> well, it sounds sounds like it might might be a good opportunity for me. Well, maybe. 
<laughs> there's always something in the read between the lines kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Well, you know, seriously, I, I don't know. It's, that's a difficult. It's a difficult question to answer. <laughs> that's too uh, funny. What question would I like to be asked? Um, I don't. I don't know. That's the right. Oh, I'm stuck. On, I'm still. I'm stuck on that one. To I'm be surprised. honest, I'm, I'm actually surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh my days! What is the best advice that somebody has ever given in you in your lifetime that you carry with you? Oh gosh, that's another hard question. Best advice. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best advice, but a piece of advice that I was told very early on and has stuck with me ever since. Because obviously when you're young and you start out uh, and you're working in a business where you're mingling and mixing with people that you know often are very well known and it can be quite intimidating and somebody uh, giving me guidance right at the beginning said if you ever feel intimidated um, by any of these people and uh, forgive me if this next bit is a little little bit crude but they said to me if you're ever faced with that situation just remember that they go to the toilet exactly the same as you do you know what I've heard that and, and you know what it actually it actually works because you know, especially when you're young, you kind of, and I, I guess we all do it with TV personalities and film stars or whatever. You kind of imagine that they live in some parallel universe that's not subject to the same, you know, same rules that we have. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, you know, it, it, it does help to sort of bring it down to to the fact that they are just flesh and blood like the rest of us and, They've got their good points and bad points and foibles and, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies and everything else That's and true. just t take them as they are. I have to ask you this question. It, it, I couldn't end the podcast without asking you this question. If there was one song that was the soundtrack of your life, what song would you choose and why would you choose that particular song? Oh, blimey, you know, these questions are getting harder as, it's going, as it goes along. One song. Uh, one song that, that that what that sums up my life kind of yeah one song that you would say is the soundtrack of your life if you had to choose one it's hard it's a hard it's not an easy question it certainly isn't because there's probably um there's probably quite a number so thinking of one because if I said what what would your album be, it might be different. But having one song is a hard one. Well, a, a very corny one, forgive me, would be "My Way," Frank Sinatra. You are the third person to say that. Am I? Oh, yeah. how boring! No, you. How, you're how boring! That's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. That's, that's no good. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, that's not, oh, there's everything wrong with that. That's so unoriginal then, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, that's no good. I think people just relate to it and it's just what it is. Well, it's it's a very hard it's a very hard question. Um, it is. It totally is. It's because I've got about twenty thousand songs in my head, so trying trying to scroll through and find one that, that can answer your question is almost impossible. Um, 
So I'm not sure I can do better than that. I'll keep that one. Uh, I'll keep that one. That one's fine fine with me. Before we end, I would love to ask you where people can find you on all your social media platforms. Uh, They can find me on Twitter, at, at Leonard Lowy. They can find my website, which is uh, www.leonardlowy.co.uk. That's probably the best way of finding me. They can Google me. That's what I did. Yeah. See, that works. That works, guys. Guys. It works. Yeah, it works. It definitely works. It definitely works. Leonard, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Ask People podcast. It's It's been been my pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. The knowledge, the wisdom, and the abundance of kindness and laughter that you have given me (laughs) has been fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Savia. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Ask People podcast. And please remember, you can subscribe on list and listen on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play and any other platform that you prefer listening to, please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also donate to the Ask People podcast by simply going to the Savvy Rocks website or just tapping in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay happy, stay positive, and as always, please continue to be kind to one another. Hey guys and welcome to another episode of the Ask People podcast. I'm your host Savvy Rocks and today I am extremely humbled to have Leonard here with me. Leonard is a specialist. A sp- <laughs> Leonard is a specialist. I can't even say it now, so I'm going to have to say that. Hoping, see, I do things wrong too, Leonard. <laughs> well, that's, inc- <laughs> I do that's encouraging. Too. That's, that's encouraging. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do it again. <laughs> I like well, how about, leave, how about leaving out the word specialist? That might make it <laughs> no, easier. No, it was just me. Because I said it fine the first time. <laughs> I said it fine the first time. So, okay, let's do this. the tools, everything you do, you make the rules, sometimes you need